0: Coming up on today's BMW Motorrad Ride and Talk podcast, World Travel, The Path to Making It Happen, and a new book from Sam Manicom. Take a listen. Over the years, I've had the privilege of riding BMW motorcycles all over the world. And the one thing I've come away with is that the only thing more extraordinary than the ride are the people you meet along the way. These are their stories. My name is Sean Thomas, and this is BMW Motorrad Ride and Talk. We're going to see how this goes. Sam is not terribly prepared for what we're going to ask him.
1: I am completely unprepared. It's just that Sean's told me, and I wasn't going to say this, but Sean's told me he's going to put me on the spot at least five times. At least five. And, and the plan was that I wouldn't say that so because then Sean would forget he'd said that. <laughs> Uh-oh, too late. Recently, we found ourselves in the USA at the BMW
0: Riders Association annual motorcycle rally, where none other than Sam Manicom was the keynote speaker. I was given the unique opportunity to interview Sam about his life and experiences together with my producer, Louise Powers. This is the second time that Sam has agreed to join us on the Ride and Talk podcast, and as a special treat, we interviewed him in front of a live audience. On this episode, we talk about Sam's upbringing, the impetus for his need to travel, his new book, and heard a few stories along the way that were both inspiring and fun. So, Sam, we're going to begin. Louise has a story to tell you. Louise, if you don't mind to share that story with Sam so that he can know um, your perspective of him from the first time you met him, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah. From the first time I met him. So very first time I met Sam was at an overland expo in Arizona, a whole bunch of years ago. And here I was. And I, I, I walk up to this, this tent where all the motorcycle people are having happy hour. I'm like, Oh dude, that's Sam Manicom. And I actually messaged Sean. I'm like, dude, Sam Manicom is here and he's like, oh, you have to go up to him and tell him I say hi. And I'm like, I like following his adventures and stuff. And he seems like a cool guy. And I go up to Sam and uh, and he's surrounded by like all the cool people who are in the motorcycle part of Overland Expo. And I'm like, hey, I'm Louise. And he's like, of course you are. You're Louise Powers. And he gives me this big hug. And I'm like, oh, oh, this guy knows who I am. I'm like, that's kind of cool. And then we chatted and stuff. And I... I had sort of thrown the idea of saying anything about Sean out the window because like, who actually needs that at that point? (laughs) But I did say, hey, by the way, Sean Thomas says hi. And he's like, oh, I love that guy. We need to take a picture for him. And so we did. And um, that was a really cool moment for me to be able to meet you and um, put a true personality to the person because as we all know you know you can follow someone on social media and you know when you meet them they can be either exactly what you think or they can be completely the opposite of what you thought you were going to encounter mm. and for me i met a world traveler who was a really cool guy and it, it was a really it was a really great magic moment you're, you're making me. me
1: blush like mad here <laughs> it's a good job the lighting in here is bad
2: that is my uh that's that's my sam manicom origin story and oh, really the rest nice. is history i
1: remember it very well <laughs> I do, too. What what Sean didn't tell you was that he texted me and he said, Louise Powers is just about to head your way to say hello from me. Make sure you pretend that you know not."
2: Actually, I would not have put that past him.
1: (laughs) Well, no, exactly. Um, It's not true. I think, Sam,
0: Louise touches on something interesting. And and I think for those of us in the audience here, you can relate to this. Uh, A lot of people don't know who Sam Manicombe is. And, and I've heard that even at this rally, when I said, are you going to be there for the interview? And, and I tell them who I'm interviewing and they go, I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm i am sorry to say, I don't know that person. And and that Sam is, a, is one of your most endearing characteristics in its way, because you are a very humble man and you do not present yourself as a, I am a person that you absolutely need to know. And I think that that is what, one of the ways that. You are separated in such a beautiful way from a lot of world travelers, is that you're not a major self-promoter. Do you
1: do you see yourself like that? I think it's my Anglo-African background. You know the terribly British and reserved bit. Hmm. Um, I, I'm quite a shy person. I know that doesn't come across that way sometimes when you know we're up on stage and things like that, doing a presentation. But um, yeah, I'm quite a shy person, and I, I like meeting individuals. And I think that that's probably one of the most important things to me. And it's one of the reasons that I do what I do for a living, um, because it gives me a chance to share and to meet people.
0: Now, Sam, you not only went on a trip, but you went on a big trip. And you. And we're going to talk about that, where you went and, and what your experiences were like. But I think it's really inspiring for people that are listening right now who I think that in order to go on an adventure like you did, you have to have certain characteristics and personality. You got to have finances. You've got to have um, a, a lot of things going for you. And and I feel like in your own way, you have taken a path that is a little different than that because you are a humble guy. And you are somebody that walks gingerly into the great beyond, but you've done it. Tell us a little bit about who you were before this adventure and how somebody like you came to make your way out into the great beyond.
1: Okay. Um, well, potted history then. Um, I was born and brought up in, um, the, um, in, in the Congo as it was just before it uh, became Zaire, so that's um, Central West Africa. My parents were teachers and working out there. When I was 10 years old, uh, we headed back to the UK for for quite a few reasons, in part because people in the surrounding mission stations were getting um, slaughtered. But um, also, I think at 10 years old, my parents were beginning to think, well, okay, what do we do with his um, education? My older sister was already at boarding school and not really enjoying it. So um, back to the UK we went, and for the next couple of years I was known as Jungle Boy, um, for obvious reasons, and uh, it, was, it was all very strange, and I spent most of my youth running around wearing shorts and a t-shirt on Sundays, and shoes on Sundays, and most of the time my parents didn't have a clue where I was or what I was doing, which was probably a very good idea when you're sort of eight, nine years old, and um, yeah, so... When I got 16 years old, I decided school holidays were coming and I had just bought my first brand new bicycle and I decided that I was going to use it for the school holidays. And so on age 16, I set off for my first solo trip um, and I borrowed a page out of my school atlas and with the, the scale was absolutely rubbish, so I got lost all of the time. But that trip um, taught me two very important things, and one of those things is it 's um, reaching the destination isn 't the important thing what's important is all the things that you see and you get involved with along along the way and that taught me the value of traveling slowly and talking to people and taking side turnings and all of that sort of thing and I didn't make it that far into Europe but I had a fantastic summer and I think the combination of growing up as a kid in Africa with all of the 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 different lifestyle there oh tropical fruit mm-hmm Apples, when we got back to England, I couldn't eat enough apples because we didn't have them. At Christmas, we'd have an apple that was cut into six pieces and we'd all have a piece of apple and that Mm. was part of Christmas. But anyway, um, I'm sidetracking. You can tell (laughs) I'm a storyteller because I do that all the time. So I think it was those two first things that um, started me off uh, with the the passion for travel. And from that time onwards, then I traveled as much as I could. And I backpacked, I hitchhiked, um, traveled by car in Australia, um, bus and train. And then I got to the stage where um, my mother was saying to me just too many times, don't you think it's time to grow up? Hmm. Mm. Well, I thought long and hard about it, and I thought, yeah, okay, she's probably got a point. So I got myself a proper job. I mean, the employers, I applied for 27 different jobs and and only had the reply from two. One of them uh, invited me for an interview, and, and the interview just went phenomenally well. He was looking for somebody who had learned to think on his feet, who had learned how to to work with other people. And these are the sorts of things that you learn from travel. Um, He wanted somebody to come in and do a bit of troubleshooting. so um, And I went to that. And I stayed with that until, um, yeah, big promotion about to happen. And that was when I realized that I didn't like my job. So um, over a few beers, realized that actually I was free. I didn't have any responsibilities. I didn't owe anybody any money. My family were well, no kids, no pets. And I just thought to myself, you will probably never be this free again. Do something different now. What are you gonna do? Well, another couple of beers, it always tweaks the gray cells. And that was when I came up with the idea of, I want to ride a motorcycle through Africa. So I handed my notice in the next morning. Past my, oh, lunchtime I went out and bought a a 125cc trail bike, because part of the problem was I didn't know how to ride a motorcycle. So I passed my test six weeks later and six weeks after that, I was at the edge of the Sahara Desert looking south over the sand, lovely sighting sand, thinking, Sam, you idiot. What are you doing this time? <laughs> but so the adventure began. And this to me is one of the most important things. We allow fear and uncertainty to get in the way too much. To me, fear is something that is actually my brain and my body saying to me, no, wake up. Fire on all cylinders. You're about to do something unusual. And if you're fully awake and fully alert, then actually the chances are of you achieving what you set out to do are really strong. And the other trick is what I learned as a 16-year-old, take it steady. Learn by your mistakes. And don't be afraid of making mistakes. We all make them. Um, My natural instinct sometimes just to say, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. It was not my fault. But actually, that doesn't work, does it? I want to take you back to a moment...
0: After you started doing a little bit of travel, before your mother told you to grow up and you got a real job, and, and you already in the, that short moment started talking about things that I feel like it's very advanced for many people that travel. And you know for many people, when they travel, they think of going to, a, in the USA, they go to a different state. And that's traveling for them, and that's enough. And uh, people in Europe may go to another country within the European Union, and that's enough travel for them. But you are going well beyond that, and even that is advanced. What say you to people that come to you with this sort of tentative nature about travel and whether or not they should
1: try to go outside of their boundaries and how to do it? There's this little silence here. Normally, I'd fill that with a long um, but I'm being well-behaved tonight. (laughs) Um, I think anybody who has the instinct that they want to go out and explore should start doing a little bit of homework and to start talking to people who have been to those places and spend less time paying attention to what mainstream media says those places are like because actually the reality on the ground except for the occasional hotspot Uh, is very different to the image that's portrayed of of those places. And that's one of the key things. I I meet so many people in the US, for example, that say, no, don't go to to Mexico. It's really dangerous. Yeah, okay, there are some small areas of it that are significantly dangerous. But the rest of the country is absolutely massive. And it is beautiful with some fantastic roads to ride and really friendly people. And that's the bulk of the country. Um, So I think do your homework find out what these places are like in advance by talking to people and reading articles from people who've actually been there sam i've got a story for you okay
0: uh, and and for those of you listening so you've written four books about your trip around the world and so i like to listen to books while i ride motorcycles so if the riding is not terribly intense and and i'm just there to enjoy the countryside and have a good time. I'll, I'll, I have earbuds inside my helmet and I'll listen to books while I ride. And I was riding with friends and I was listening to a book, um, one of Sam Manicom's books. And so I'm, I'm out in the back country traveling while I'm listening to Sam talk about his back country travel experience. It's really cool. And as we're riding, I realized that one of the stories he had told about his books, I ha- I had a question about it. Like I went, you know, there's probably more to this story than he's telling in this chapter of his book. So I pulled the group over to the side of the road and I got off my motorcycle and I went over to the bike behind me which was Sam Manicomb, and you were riding with me, and I said, Sam, I've got a question about one of your books, and you were able to sit there and explain to me in more detail what happened. And something I love about your books, is, in terms of your audio books especially, is that you are actually narrating them and telling us the tale about your experience. Tell me a little bit about, as you're writing these books and you're relaying your experiences, how you decide which part of the tale to tell, because there's always a little bit more.
1: Oh, that's really easy. Um, I got the worst possible grade in English that you can get at school and still pass. So technically, I should not be able to write books at all. But I soon learned as I grew up that actually just the way we are at this point doesn't mean that we're the same way five years down the line or ten years down the line. Life changes us, doesn't it? We get influenced by different things. And I'm also a great believer in if you like the idea of having a go at something try it. It's a new adventure. And if you fall off, well, okay, so you pick yourself up, dust yourself down and have a go at something else. But you've got to try it. So when I decided that I was going to write Into Africa, the first book... I'd been writing magazine articles um, during the time that I was traveling. Not many, because I didn't want them to get in the way of the journey. The journey was what was important. The magazine articles, that was just um, a, a very much secondary thing. But at the end of the, the eight-and-a-bit-year year trip, I had people writing to me and saying, well, look, we like your articles. When's your book coming out? Well, my thought was, well, what book? Yeah. But, hey, if you don't try, then you don't find out if you can. So for me, it was a case of, well, how do I do this? I hadn't been to, you know, education school about writing books or anything else like that. So I decided that I was just going to find somewhere really quiet. And every time a thought was powerful enough to pop into my mind, I would just get those words down. And it didn't matter if my punctuation or my grammar was bad. Hmm. That really didn't matter. What mattered was I was downloading this story. We, we're so lucky that we don't live in the days of Shakespeare and we've got cut and paste. And I mean, even the days of typewriters and tipex, we're well out of that. Yeah. So, you know, we can just do that. And then we can reorder, you know, we can order all of these sorts of things and, and that's how it happened. And when I was reading through it, the question always in my mind was, is anybody else going to find this interesting? And that was, that was key. If I wrote something that was interesting to me, but not necessarily interesting to somebody else, then out it came. Uh, the original manuscript was nearly twice as long as, mm. as, as what I finished up with.
0: Sam, I'm going to take you to another moment. It's something that you said to me that I've never forgotten, but there's a story that comes with it. Okay. I'll tell you the story first. And it, the story doesn't have a lot to do with what he told me, but I would love the story so much that I'd love you to hear it. So you came to stay at my house. I did. And this is many, many years ago, and uh, you were still traveling about the USA. And I said, if you're ever a Around and you want to stay at my place, you can. And then I followed you, like so many of us do, and I found out you were not far away. And I reached out to you and said, Sam, if you need a place to stay, I live in Monterey Bay, California, and I'd love to have you. And you reached out to me and you said, I have one free night and I need a place to stay. And I'd be um, much obliged to you if you'd uh, let me stay with you. I said, No problem. I've got a room for you. And so you came that night, spent the night. The next day I said, would you like to go for a ride and see the country and, and come and have some fun with us? And you said, sure. And so we went out for a ride and, and, and I said during the ride, Sam, you know, if, if, for as long as you want to stay, you're welcome to stay with me. And you said, well, I do have actually a, f- a few extra nights and, and, uh, and, and I'd love to stay. And I said, fantastic. So you ended up staying for several nights. And at the end of the stay, you told me, you know, I was only going to stay with you for one night because I didn't really know you, and I thought you might be a jerk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> Do you remember that? No, I didn't say that I th- to you. <laughs> I think that kind of <laughs> falls in line with my story,
2: too. No. But, but I s- the a preconceived notion thing.
1: <laughs> I said one night because I didn't want to um, intrude, and I was already beginning to learn how amazing American hospitality is, and I didn't want to take advantage. And I also thought... Actually, you may hate me as a house guest for one night, and this gives you an excuse to give me the boot the next morning. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was why I did that. There was nothing jerk about it. Now, you said something to us during that stay, and, it,
0: to, and I, honestly, it just stuck with me to this day. And you said that there is, when you see the world, there are tourists and there are travelers. And you explained to me the difference. Do you remember oh, do. what you said? Can you tell us the difference in your mind between a tourist
1: and a traveler? Okay. A, a tourist goes, um, sees what they went to see. A traveler sees what they see. Mm-hmm. When we go on a two-week holiday, we tend to have a set number of things that we want to want to want um, to link up with. Sites, people, that sort of thing. But a traveler, because you're much more relaxed with your time, then... You've got the freedom to have done your research and to know that those things exist, but you've got the freedom to start taking side turnings and just seeing what's down there. And Africa is 5,500 miles long, and I ended up riding 22,000 miles because my motorcycle gave me the freedom to see what I saw, rather than specifically going to see particular things. I got to tell you that I took the advice at first the wrong way
0: which is to say that I love the idea of being a traveler and just letting the world unfold before me and being absorbed with what I saw. And what I didn't do is pre-research where I was going. So I would go to a location that I'd never been to before. Um, the, uh, what comes to mind for me is uh, Czech Republic, um, w- w- which I rode to. And I thought, I'm just going to let the country unfold for me. And I was not that impressed by it because I didn't really know anything about it and later I found out like well, there's actually quite a bit about this country that's really amazing and beautiful and wonderful and if I had, if I had done a little bit of research I still could have been a traveler and enjoyed it. You could. So do your research first. Would yes. that be
1: your advice to people? Oh, without doubt. It's, it's so easy to ride 10 miles close to something and have no idea it's there. And then, you know, a couple of months later, you find out how incredible this place is, or there's something particularly special that goes on in that area, and how important that is. I have a reputation for planning things um, fairly fairly lightly, but actually it's not true. I'm fascinated by the places that I go. And the more that I go there, the more I learn, then the more I can get out of a country. But it's also learning things about how the customs and cultures work in places. It's so easy to tread your motorcycle boots over somebody else's culture without having a clue Mm. that that's what you're doing. And how embarrassing is that? But you learn a bit about the culture. And it also gives you such an amazing insight into what the place is like, what the mental attitude of things are. Hmm. So it's learning the little things like that. And I, I find that fascinating.
0: One of the stories that you tell in your book that I, I love so much, and I believe her name was Big Mama. Does that ring a bell for you? Are we talking the market scene? The market scene. Yeah. Yes. Negotiating, which, which I find generally is difficult for most Westerners. It is. To haggle. Yep. And the Big Mama story is a story of haggling, but, it, but it's also a story about culture and um, and connecting with people can you tell us that story or at least mm, the piece
1: okay of so this the scene in, and i love this story too um the scene is nairobi in kenya nairobi is the capital city of kenya and i was staying in um, a, a very oddball place that was run by a polish immigrant called mama roche and many older overlanders will know of a mama roche um at the end of the second world war she walked across europe um, jumped on a, a, on a ship with her husband then. They went to Tanzania. They split up eventually, and she walked away up into Kenya, and she set up an overlander's base. So if you had motorcycle or you had a four-wheel vehicle, um, then you could just go and rest up, and there was a hospital just down the road and markets and this sort of thing. And this is where the story that um, Mr. Thomas has started the ball rolling on. So one of my favorite markets... Is just up the road. It's about a mile and a half away. There are no tables in this market. All of the people selling their wares are sitting on the ground. But they've covered the ground in brightly coloured cloths. Now, we would think of them as being sarongs, but in Kenya they're called kikois and you have all sorts of different designs but on top of those kikois they put their wares and they beautifully display little pyramids of tomatoes and bunches of bananas and papayas now in England a pawpaw or papaya um, they classify in the supermarket a large papaya and it's about five inches long in the market there you're looking at nearly two feet long and this is one of the most healthy fruits you can ever eat anyway so before you go shopping in a market like this you've talked to one of the local guys and you've found out what you what the locals will pay for, according to weight for all of the various different things now you know that you're not going to get the locals price because you're a tourist and that's fair comment so they'll but getting down close towards local price is actually part of the fun so you walk around the market until you find one of the mamas, and they tend to be big, which is why they're called big mamas, all of them, sitting cross-legged on the floor, surrounded by their goods, and you just sort of stand back and watch how they're interacting with their customers until you find one that you can see has got a sense of humour. You approach mama, and you say to her, um, I would like this papaya just here. Oh, yes, this is a very fine papaya. <laughs> oh, mister, you are going to love this papaya. So, Mama, how how much would you like for this papaya? Oh, I think um, 50 shillings is a very good price for you. Mama, 50 shillings? Oh, come on. How about five shillings? Oh, mister, five shillings. What do you think? I am made of money? So you dicker backwards and forwards a little bit. And by this time, you've got a bit of an audience going. And because you're having some fun, then you've got people who are on your side and people who are on Mama's (laughs) side. And everybody's giving the other person advice. And there's lots of laughter when this is happening. Anyway, so then you get up to about the sort of 30 shillings mark. And you know that the locals are paying 25. So you're happy with 30. But Mama still tries it on. And in this particular instance, she said to me, Ah! but I have a husband and seven children to feed. You, you must be paying me. And I said to our mama, I have seven wives and one child to feed. And mama <laughs> just said, oh, take it. <laughs> <You're-> <laughs> Of course I didn't. I paid her for it. Of course I didn't. But you know, just the whole interaction. And this took 45 minutes. And it was just 45 minutes of fun. I could have walked into the supermarket that was in the other direction down the road and picked out one that wasn't as nice looking in about five seconds. No, that's not funny. I think the prevailing message
0: that, that I share with people from my travels, which are nowhere near as substantial as yours, but really, was impactful for me over all other messages that I can share with anyone that wants to travel is that people are good. Too right. No matter where you go, people are good if you give them a chance. Is this your
1: experience as oh, well? Oh, without doubt. You know, humanity's humanity. So there's always going to be somebody who is a villain or somebody who's on an off day. But let's say one out of a hundred is a villain. Think about it like this. What are the chances of you actually coming across that one in a hundred person? Now, we all have off days and that makes us grumpy and a bit edgy and, yeah, well, not, not got much patience. So let's say two out of a hundred are those grumpy, edgy people on that particular day. Again, what are the chances of us coming across that person? It's much more likely that um, you will come across somebody who is more nervous of you than you are of them. So you reach that hand out, and if you can, say hello in their language and smile, and all of a sudden the ice is broken. And even if it's a sign language conversation, the conversation just Mm. flows. And sign language is really easy. I mean, most of it's common sense. So, for example, you want a hotel, and you don't know how to ask for a hotel, but you've smiled, you've shaken hands, you've built a little bit of relationship, and you do something like this a triangle over the top of your head, and then put your hands next door to your face as if you're sleeping. Instantly, people know that you're looking for somewhere to sleep. Hmm. Oh, hot deli, hot deli. And off you go. And you've got somebody, and because they're nice, they'll take you to somewhere. And that's, for me, the grand scheme of things, that's how things work. People are great fun. You just have to give them the opportunity to be so.
0: I want to peel back one of the layers of what you've Shared with me tonight and, and and before in our conversations. Now, when, and you've shared with me that you know if you want to travel, um, it's it's very good to do your research. It's very good to uh, to understand where you're going to go, understand the experiences of people that have traveled, and that helps you to create a picture of what you're going to go through. It's more than just digging into because you're going to run across people that have a negative story to tell and have a a reason that you shouldn't travel go stay at home and and work at the lawyer's office. You'll be just fine there. And you have to be able to push past that. Yeah? So there's got to be a mindset beyond simple curiosity. Tell me a little bit about what allowed you to do this beyond the detractors.
1: I was ready for a darn good holiday. (laughs) (laughs) You actually hit a nail very firmly on the head there. Curiosity it's a wonderful thing if we let it. It can lead us to the most amazing experiences and the learning opportunities that comes because of curiosity. It's it's really important. I'm quite a shy person. I know. Here's me up, sitting up on stage, and I probably don't come across as being shy, but I am. <laughs> and I like discovering things quietly. And the combination of curiosity and discovering things quietly, that works together quite nicely. But also it's... Um, that the most important thing is look for reasons why you should do something and stop looking for reasons why you shouldn't. Yeah. If you try, so many times you find out that you can. And there are some people who are just all singing and all dancing at a particular aspect of their lives. Well, you may not have that, mm. but you might still be able to sing and quite often you don't need to sing and dance to get a real buzz out of something. Yeah. So try it. If the idea pops into your mind, see if you can make it happen. Concentrate on not what the reasons that you shouldn't do it, but all of the reasons that you should. Sam, you've written four books on your own,
0: starting with Into Africa. What are the other three?
1: Um, the first book is into Africa then this, um, the, the books, the four books follow through the different continents of the round the world journey. So from Africa, ship shipped across to Australia on a container ship, which was just a wonderful experience. I mean, this is adventure. I never expected that I would be on a container ship and certainly not going through a force eight gale. That was entertaining. um, <laughs> But um, Australia and New Zealand, up through Southeast Asia, India, Nepal, Pakistan, Iran, Turkey, and through Eastern Europe. And during this time, I met a girl riding a bicycle through New Zealand for six months, and I persuaded her that a bicycle with an engine was a much better idea. And um, she said to me, well, yeah, I'll come with you to South America, but on two conditions. I want to go to Africa first, and I want to have my own motorcycle. Hmm. So the third book, Distant Suns, starts off with a year going down through Southern Africa. And just going back to your, your, the previous topic that we were talking about, Birgit had been riding a motorcycle for 600 miles as we wow. rolled out of the port in Mombasa in Kenya. Hmm. 600 miles. Um, what a plucky lass. She learned to ride in Africa. And what a great rider she became. All of the experiences and everything else, but the trick was take it gently. And if you do something wrong, learn by your mistake, so you try not to do it again. And it just happened over and over. So fr- um, within Distant Suns, we got down to Cape Town and I'm not going to enter into the full story because I will spoil it for the readers. But we, we found this absolutely wonderful way to get across to South America, to Buenos Aires. And the next two years uh, that the book covers takes you down to Ushuaia, the southernmost point town in South America, and then across uh, up through Argentina, across into Chile, and then worked our way for um, well, two years up through um, western South America. And, ah, it is drop-dead gorgeous. It's beautiful. I don't know about you, but I love the shape of volcanoes. So you you just follow a string of volcanoes as well as the craggy peaks. The fourth book, so that book leaves you on the border between Guatemala and Mexico. So Tortillas to Totems, the fourth book, that takes you riding through Mexico, United States, and Canada. And um, that's uh, just over 18 months between um, those three neighbours. And your fifth book which has just come out. Is mm-hmm. it, it's a bit of a departure from your first four. How is that? Yes, it is. Um, the Moment Collectors came out um, a couple of months back, February. And during COVID, I was seeing so much negativity towards overlanding. We'll never be able to do it again. Um, It's not going to be possible. It's too expensive. And what what happens if countries close down in front of us? And I kept on thinking, but hang on a minute. Everybody who's ever travelled for any length of time has come across problems and unanticipated things. We know what the risks are and the likely problems are with COVID. So we're already forearmed with the opportunity to come up with solutions. But the negativity was really getting to me. People were forgetting how wonderful travel is and how important it is, I think, for humanity that people go out of their home environments and come back with real information about the different countries. It just adds such amazing perspective. Mm. So what I wanted to do was to put together a book where each chapter is by a different author and each chapter, the the brief to the author, was write about... One of those moments when you're out on the road, when you suddenly think, yes, this is why I'm out here. But there's a a lot more behind this book, uh, which is woven in. So we've got 20 authors, I'm one of them, Some of the authors are terribly well-known, sort of 21 books, right the way down to a couple of people who've never written anything before. But I've been watching them on social media and I've been watching their posts and I could tell that they would got great stories and that they could write. They just needed some guidance. So the full range of writing ability... I also wanted to have authors who had been on the road for a very long time. So, for example, like Simon and Lisa Thomas, Mm -hmm. 19 years on the road, Mm. Um, right the way down to somebody like Daniel Byers, who had, this was his first trip. Um, I wanted to have all of the different ways that we travel on a motorcycle. So people who were riding two up, solo female, solo male, couples riding on two bikes, that sort of thing. So we got the full mix. But I also wanted to have different nationalities. So we've got five different nationalities. And just the mix of these chapters is absolutely wonderful. Now, the editor that I worked with to begin with on this book, he wanted to sort of homogenize all of the the chapters so that the punctuation was the same, the grammar was the same, Mm. etc. But no, what was really important to me was that each of these individual authors, they were writing in their language. So if they're from Australia or they're from South Africa, you see the slang still being woven in. You see the different types of grammatical structure um, happening in the book. It was an absolutely exciting book to do Mm. because... Of all of these people, what a boast to work with 19 overlanders. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a great fun book. I, if you buy a copy, I hope you really enjoy it. You'll find people in there you'll love.
0: Sam, I'm sure everybody would like to know, how can we stay connected with you and find out more about your writings and your experiences?
1: Thank you. Um, I'm fa- on Facebook, I've got two pages on Facebook. One's my Sam Mannequin page. And um, that's where I sort of tend to chat and natter about absolutely everything. And the other one is my Adventure Motorcycle Travel Books by Sam Manik and Page. And on that, I'll be talking about books. I'll be talking about events, also products from different companies that I end up using. Because uh, if I come across a product that I really like, then I'll share the information and to why I like it. Because to me, that's one of the wonderful things about motorcycling. It's how we share information. It's, um, you know, if this works really well, then let's share the information. Um, Instagram, that's Sam Manicom author, and I'd love to see you there. I'm not long on Instagram, so um, we're just growing there. And, um, insults as well as compliments and comments, um, are all welcome, and you will get a reply from me. Sometimes when I'm on the road like this, it takes me a little bit longer, but, um, yeah, I always make a point of replying to everybody, even if it's a thumbs up or a heart, but normally you'll get a comment from me. And I'm on Twitter as well, and that's, um, Sam at Sam Manicom, and yeah be great to connect with you guys there Sam we've really enjoyed your time thank you very much thank you
0: thank you cheers we very much hope you have enjoyed this episode we'd love to hear from you so please comment and share your thoughts about this podcast we have many more on the way so please subscribe follow along and share your requests for future episodes of the BMW Motorrad Ride and Talk podcast